In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Amen. Please be seated. I never get this two microphone thing going on here. Yes, no. All right, you tell me if it's a problem, okay? I think I got it. My sister came to visit us over the Thanksgiving holiday, and I have to confess that after we put the kids to bed, we spent perhaps too many hours on the couch binging television. (laughs) We were watching the show The Good Place, which my sister had never seen before, so naturally we had to start from the beginning, and I think it's in its sixth season. I don't know how many of you have watched the show, but it's pretty fun if you're looking for a new series. The premise is fairly straightforward. The main characters have died and gone to the good place, which we presume is some sort of heaven-like paradise for those who have lived morally upright lives. I don't want to give off any spoilers, so I can't tell you too much. But suffice it to say, after a few weeks in the good place, the main characters begin to realize that all is not as it should be. There's something fishy about the people there. There's something weird about the surroundings. And there's real questions about how they themselves got in. After a while, they figure out that there's a major problem with the systems of points and calculations used to determine who gets sent to the good place versus the bad place. Now, part of the problem is that the point system is out of date. Human decision-making on Earth has gotten so complicated that what were once simple decisions now have moral consequences. For instance, you go to the grocery store and you buy the organic tomatoes. This results in good points going into your tally. But then you realize it's December and tomatoes are out of season. Bad points go in your tally. You drop those tomatoes into a single-use plastic bag. More bad points. And then you put your groceries in your SUV and drive home. Even more bad points. In the end, your overall point calculation is negative, even though you sprung for organic. Not only that, it soon becomes clear that people who make an abundance of bad choices or earn too many negative points find it nearly impossible to correct their point imbalance. The system seems to reject the idea that people might be able to change. It's no wonder then, knowing what we know about humanity, that the vast majority of people in the series are in the bad place. (laughs) After these revelations, the main character, Eleanor Shellstrop, goes on a mission to expose the flaws. She's going to prove that she can turn her life around and learn how to be good. After all, she herself is damned by the system. She's a self-proclaimed trash bag from Arizona who has rarely made a choice in her life that wasn't motivated by self-interest. She's rude, she's self-centered, she's manipulative, and yet somehow, maybe because of her imperfect life, she seems to have some wisdom not available to the more morally pure. Her big plan hinges on time and circumstances. She needs enough time to prove that even lousy people like her can change. 
but she soon realizes that she can't do it on her own. She tries a bunch of times, but she always lapses back into her old habits. But with the help of friends and a community there that's willing to call her on her crap, she comes to see that not only her, but all kinds of mediocre people can turn their lives around. Over time, with lots of support, this group of lost souls develops the moral muscles they need to be saved. Human failure, a desire for change, truth-telling and accountability from the community, and a path to restoration. This is primetime network TV, you guys. I can't believe it. <laughs> now, I don't know if her plan works because the series hasn't ended, so I can't actually tell you. But it sounds a lot to me like a plan we've heard before. You may have heard it as something more like this. Sin, repentance, forgiveness, redemption. Now, these hardly seem like Christmas themes, I know. And yet, they line up pretty clearly with our text for today. When we hear that Advent is a time of preparation, we often focus on preparing our houses, getting our Christmas cards out, getting our holiday shopping done. We may also try to increase our charitable giving and outreach, all of those things. But what the early church seemed to recognize when it created the system, the system, the season of Advent, and put the lectionary texts in the order that we have them today, was that preparing for Christ's coming meant more than preparing for the parties and the concerts. It meant more than a seasonal nod to the poverty around us through charitable giving. To prepare for Christ's coming, to really understand the shakeup of history that was about to happen, we have to prepare ourselves for the life-altering system-shifting change. We have to clean out the junk in our lives, turn away from the things getting in the way of our relationship with God and our neighbors, and create space for God coming to us in the flesh. See, while it's tempting, we're not really supposed to jump over the hard work of Advent to the bells and whistles of Christmas. Not at least if we really want to understand the meaning of the season and remember why it all matters and what our role in it is. But thankfully, we have our own Eleanor Shellstrap to jolt us out of our tendency to sentimentalize the season. Right in the middle of our Christmas preparations comes John the Baptist, reminding us that true preparation requires repentance. And repentance isn't easy. It requires commitment, support, a bit of grace, and practice. It requires friends and community. It requires time. But it's, when it's done well, you can see the results. Now, John was a no-nonsense kind of guy. He knew that words without actions didn't mean anything. He had little in interest in good intentions, and he probably didn't even understand repentance as saying sorry or feeling contrite. Feeling sorry was certainly a part of repentance, for sure, but John wasn't particularly interested in people's feelings. That's clear enough from the insults he hurls at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were the religious leaders of the time. He had no interest in their supposed moral superiority, their belief that because they followed the right rules or knew the right people, that they were somehow in God's good graces. 
he calls them on their crap. And that's because for John, repentance is about taking responsibility. It's about taking responsibility for what is wrong with the world, beginning by looking at what's wrong with us. There's no room in repentance for moral superiority. If anything, repentance is a flattening out of relationships, an acknowledgement of where my behavior or my lack of behavior is alienating me from you and from God. John shouts at the religious leaders, bear fruit worthy of your repentance. For John, repentance leaves marks that you can see. It bears fruit that you can pick and eat. You can't, if you can't see changes in yourself, in your relationships, in your community, in your church, then the work of repentance hasn't happened. John knows that it's the flesh and blood of repentance, the material, the physical transformation of ourselves and our communities that matters to God. And maybe that's why repentance is stuck here in the middle of our Christmas preparations. We are, in fact, preparing for a flesh and blood transformation. God incarnate, God coming to us as a baby in the manger. We know from the Christmas story how much flesh and blood matter to God, how much not only spiritual transformation, but also material, physical, touchable transformation are at the crux of who God is and who God calls us to be for one another. We know that Jesus saves. But if we had the chance to ask Jesus how he might define salvation, he might point to the fruits of repentance. He might say that salvation is recovery from an illness or an addiction. He might say that salvation is forgiveness of a debt. It's peace between old enemies. It's companionship in the face of loneliness. It's affordable housing for the chronically homeless or safety for those fleeing violence. Salvation is not offered to us as some sort of metaphysical prize. It's offered to us in the form of a baby born in a poor family. It's offered to us in our bodies as God's power to change our lives. While Jesus does some of the hard work for us, we have a role to play in repairing the damage that we've done. And that's what John is calling us to do this Advent in preparation for Jesus' coming, to look at our lives, to look at the damage we've done or failed to repair, and to begin the hard work of transformation. God calls us back each Advent to be God's people. And because we know that Emmanuel is coming, God with us, we have the power to change. Thanks be to God. Amen.